Praise the Lord. Title of today's message is Three Keys, not all the keys, but three keys to be who are you are called to be. And we're back in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, imagine with me, if you will, a wife and a husband sitting at a kitchen table. And the husband has his newspaper in front of him. And the wife has opened a Bible. She's reading and she says to her husband, You're not going to believe this. It says God created everything in six days. And his reply, so full of enthusiasm, was, I don't believe it. A little while later, she said, you're not going to believe this. God created man from the dirt and breathed life into it, and it became a man. And he said, you're right. I don't believe it. Then a few moments later, she said, it says that God made woman out of the man's rib. And he said, I don't believe it. And she asked him, do you know what this means? And because she thought... He wasn't paying attention. He answered and he said that man is better because he was made first. And no, she said, she she exclaims, no, it means that I'm prime rib and you're dirt. (laughs) We need to know whose we are and who we are called to be. In 1 Corinthians, Paul preached the gospel in the early 50s, uh, during his second missionary journey. Now, opposition grew fierce there, and the Lord Jesus spoke to him in a vision and assured him that he had many people in the city. And with this encouragement, Paul stayed on for 18 months, teaching them the Word of God. God used Paul's ministry to bring about the birth and the establishment of the church at Corinth. Today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And I'll be reading out of NKJB, New King James. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other, for he who makes for who makes you differ from another and what do you have that you did not receive now if you did indeed receive it why do you boast as if you had not received it you are already full you are already rich you have reigned as kings without us and indeed i could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you let's pray this morning heavenly father We thank you for this place of worship that you've given to these people, your church. 
And now, Lord, as we extend our hands to the empty seats that are next to us, to the people that are not here this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would not only convict them, but that you would make a way so that they could return to us. And Lord, the people that you're calling in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, we ask that you would call them quickly. We ask for the workers, Lord, of the gospel. You said, pray the Lord of the harvest and that you would send them. Lord, we pray to you, and that is your promise, that you would send them. And we stand on the promises of your word. And God, as we continue through the rest of this message and the rest, indeed the rest of this service, Lord, we come humbly, but in the authority that you've given us, Jesus. And we say, speak to our hearts, please, that we may leave this place changed, anew, refreshed, to do your work and your will. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, for who you're calling. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God in the church said, Amen. Hey, I've got some news for you today. Um, You're not God, just so you know. You're not God. You are a slave of Christ, and you do have an important calling in Christ that you're supposed to be fulfilling. Let's look at the first part of that. You have an important life call. You have an important life call. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. First of all, we're reminded that as Christians, we have a very high calling indeed. We're to handle and take care of what he calls the mysteries of God. Well, what are these mysteries? What do they look like? Well, for us, it's become so normal that we forget how blessed we are. These mysteries are those things that bring life to a dying world, that bring life to a sinner, that cause regeneration in us. You have no idea how privileged you are to be able to hold and understand this mystery that is the gospel. It is the substitutionary atonement that God has brought about to those who are being saved. In no other religion or time has anyone ever, ever seen God's graciousness that grants freedom yet brings slavery at the same time. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to him the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is where we need to be in his yoke, in his burden. God gives us a gift that is free. It's free, yet it will cost you everything. And not only that, it costs God a whole lot. Hebrews 9.16 says, and this is a new living, it says, Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. We've been going through that personally. This will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water (coughs) and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. And then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used to worship. In fact, according to the law, Moses Moses nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without God coming as a man... And dying for your sin and my sin on a Roman torture and execution device known as the cross to become the perfect sacrifice to lift us up out of our sins, our wrongdoing, our evil, then we would be on our way to hell today if not for that. And you know what? Each and every person that ever lived would be on their way to hell if not for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the mystery. In times past, it was not revealed, but then it was. No, we live in a time of grace and salvation and sanctification that the world had never known before Jesus. Not because of anything we have done. Not because of anything we have done. Do you get that this morning? But by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We know that in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me, you, the Pope, everybody. All. All. All means all, doesn't it? All have sinned. And Ephesians 2.8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the key. You've got to be in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we do that? Well, Romans 10, 13 tells us, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you say to me, pastor, these are the simple things. We know this. We've heard this many, many times. Yes, and that is the mystery of the gospel. That's something to shout about. That's something to to look forward to. That's something to share. 
If you have gotten to the point in your life where you don't take that as amazing and awesome and wonderful and you're not excited about that, then you have lost your first love. It's time to repent and do the first things. That's what Jesus said. He takes those that are completely and totally depraved in their sins and he makes them new. Not just cleansing us or covering over our sin, but makes us new. Makes us regenerate. We were dead, but now we are alive. But now we are alive. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This means that a person who comes down front, says a prayer, asks Jesus to be there all in all, but only has this mental assent. In other words, it's only in their mind. There's no spiritual change in their life. There's no spiritual renewal. There's no regeneration. Well, they have become religious, but they haven't become saved. They are not truly born again. Somebody who is saved, you can see the change over time. They become more and more like Christ. The things that used to bother them, the things that didn't used to bother them, bother them now. The sin that used, they used to revel in, their conscience becomes pricked. But he who has given his all to Christ, in that moment, has been transformed from death to life. He's been given a new nature because he will no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You don't, ha you don't have to tell an apple tree to make apples. It knows how to make apples. It does that because it, it's its nature to make apples, isn't it? You don't have to tell a sinner to sin. They're going to do that because it's in their nature. They will sin. But a new Christian now has the old sin nature, yes, but he has a new nature. Inside of him, he has the choice to choose life. He has the ability to choose life. And a true born-again believer will choose life nine times out of ten. And when he doesn't, he knows he has sinned. He gets on his knees before God and he says, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yes, a believer can sin, but he doesn't reside there anymore. He doesn't revel in it anymore. Why? Because he is a new creation living in newness of life. Amen. And we are exhorted by Paul, even in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he's talking to Christians here. Because only a Christian can choose to walk in the Spirit, can choose to worship God with all that he is because he has been made new in true worship. What did Jesus say? The Father seeks those that want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Folks, this is truth this morning. Worship him in his truth. Moving on, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law, because you're new. Number two, you and I are a slave of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 4. We look at it again. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. What does that mean? Let's look at those two words, the word servants and the words stewards. They're important words, little words, but they're important. Servant here is not just like some guy who shows up for a job, you know. It doesn't, it, it, you don't just do your job and go home. You know, that's not what it means. It's, it's more like a slave. You are a slave of Christ. And a slave must be good stewards. We serve Christ because we become slaves of Christ. We serve at his good pleasure, not my good pleasure, not your good pleasure, but his good pleasure. Sometimes you may not want to serve Christ in a particular way or endure a particular hardship or deal with particular problems. But you know, Paul didn't want a particular thorn in the flesh either. But the master refused to take it away from his slave, didn't he? He did. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. I don't know a lot of Christians today in America that will take pleasure in their reproaches, in their needs, in their persecutions, in their distresses for Christ's sake. And he goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what? Today in Christianity, we've got too many people. They want... They want, they want. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. God's a good genie. God is not your genie. God requires sometimes that we need to have some infirmities. That means sicknesses. That we need to endure reproaches. That we need to have needs. And that we are in persecution. That we are in distress for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. How many people do you know today would say, Lord, I'm signing up for being stoned to death. Lord, I'm signing up to be bit by a viper that I know can kill me. Lord, I'm signing up to be tortured for your sake and burned for your sake. To be put in a coliseum and eaten by lions for your sake. There's a lot of people today who call themselves Christians, but as soon as something happens, they're gone. They'll be like, I'm out. See you later. I'm not dealing with it. In the parable of the sower, those are the ones that fell on the stony ground. They popped up real quick, but there was no root in them, and then they were gone. If you are truly born again, you are Christ's slaves. We are Christ's slaves, and we have been made stewards of the mysteries of God. It is required that, it's, that we as stewards be found faithful. 
What does that mean? It means submitting yourself to the master and do his will even when you don't want to do it. We heard from Paul, Lord, take this thorn away from me. Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. Lord, take this thorn away from me. Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he asked the last time, Lord, please take this thorn away from me. Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. When we get to that point that we can say to ourselves, for when I am weak, then I am strong because Jesus is my strength in life, in persecution, in issues. Then we can see the hand of God like never before in our lives. Matthew 28, 18 says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Does it say stay in the four walls of the church? No, my Bible says go, therefore, and make disciples. Not converts, no, disciples of all nations. You mean I got to talk to people who stink? Yep. You mean I got to talk to the bum on the street? Yep. You mean I got to talk to the guy who's in prison and tattooed up and might kill me? Yep. That's what you got to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're good at that as Baptists. But then they go away. What happened? We forgot the next part. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Teaching them to observe all things. There's quite a few people out today. How many will you call when you leave here and say, hey, we missed you? How many people did you invite to church maybe six months ago that you haven't talked to since? But you got their phone number. How many? Well, that's what we pay the pastor to do. No, you don't. You know what my job is? It's real simple. It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Those that are saved. You're a saint of God. Go work in the ministry. That's what we're to do. What happens if we aren't faithful to this command? Um, If we're not faithful to this command, don't think that you just get to sit in your pew and all is well. You're not an employee. The boss doesn't just fire you when you get to, you know, find another job and move on. If you are Christ's slave, you are his son or daughter, and you are an heir. You are a part of the family. He who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, also said in Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals you with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Let me break it down for you. 
If you belong to Christ, if you are his, if he has saved you from the utter, to the uttermost, from the top of your head to the tips of your feet and everything in between, I got some news for you. You're going to get spanked. You're going to either do what he says or he's going to chasten you. He's going to discipline you. I don't hear a whole lot of amens when I preach that. Usually I hear, oh my. And last but not least, number three. Are you ready? And we got some preachers and and teachers and, and all over this nation. And we've got some people sitting in the pews and deacons and elders and whatever, whatever domination they're part of that have forgotten this one simple thing. You are not God. 1 Corinthians 4.3 But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Today we have an epidemic in Christianity. It's called judging each other wrongly. Judging each other wrongly. Now, am I talking about fruit? I'm not talking about fruit. That's different. We can be fruit inspectors. We're talking about judging. Judging their their life as a Christian. Well, they should be doing this. Well, God told them to do that. I don't care. They should be doing this. Why? Because we've always done it this way. Um, But God told them to do it that way. I don't care. See what I mean? During this time, Paul had people coming behind him who would say that that what he taught and the way he lived was wrong. Now, why? Because he didn't practice all of the man-made laws that were still around from Judaism at that time. These people were called Judaizers. And their biggest heresy of the time was that they said to be a Christian, you must practice circumcision. Now, if that were true, then salvation would be by works, wouldn't it? And not by grace. Salvation's by grace. We read that earlier, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Galatians 3, when he wrote to the Galatians about this, he said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So with Paul having enemies outside the church, now he's got enemies inside the church where heresy has started to creep up into the church and people are preaching works-based salvation. And Paul basically says, you don't get to evaluate my Christianity because it is plain to see that I'm walking in the Spirit. I believe I'm doing things right so my conscience doesn't even bother me. Only God gets to judge my motives and my secrets, not you. You don't know what my motives are. 
you don't know what my secrets are. God does. When someone adds works to salvation, they immediately begin to judge others. Man, I was listening. And now this didn't happen in a, in a Southern Baptist church, but I was talking to another pastor. And this lady, this happened in the 70s. This lady came in and she had on short sleeves and a dress. So the pastor changed his message, start preaching against short sleeves. How dare we not cover our arms? I don't know where that's in the Bible. She got up in the middle of service and she put her arm in front of him and said, Pastor, if this turns you on, then there's a problem with you and not me. And she left. Works. There's such thing as being modest, yes, and then there's such thing as being stupid. Yes, I said stupid. Cover your ears. So Paul's got these enemies, and they're adding works, and they immediately begin to judge. Now that particular happening, that story that I gave you, it happened uh, in a very popular movement in the United States that took hold for a while. It still exists in parts of the country, still exists here in Florida. And ironically, it's called the holiness movement. When it's not holiness, it's legalism. It started out well, saying don't use grace as an excuse to walk in sin. Paul said that. Romans 6.15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Well, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So what happened? They became legalistic. They forgot about the grace of God. Women couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't wear jewelry, women. Women must, had to wear their skirts or dress at all times. I've got a few teachers I know like that. Got to wear a skirt because the Bible says to. Wear. Where's the Bible say you can't wear pants? I don't see that in the scripture. I just don't. It's a very short list. These kinds of churches, these kinds of people, they take the freedom of Christ, they add man-made rules to the scriptures, and they turn the gospel into something that no one could bear. And this brings me to one more point I want to bring out. Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge our motives. He's going to judge our secrets. He's going to bring them into light for all to see. So examine yourselves to make sure you are really in the faith. That your motives are right and pure. You know, I heard a preacher say someone went up to him once. Because he preached in all kinds of churches. 
and two deacons got into it, and they said, Brother, should a woman wear makeup? And he looked at both of them, and he said, I don't know. Does she need it? I think that was a snarky answer, but it got the point across. Let me tell you something about motives. I've got a story for you. There was a little boy who wanted to get a gift for his mother on her birthday. He told his dad he wanted to get her a cookie jar. So they went down to the store. And in this store, in this particular store, there was a huge aisle of cookie jars. And he carefully went to each jar and he lifted each lid very carefully and put it back. And he did this with a very serious look on his face. And when he was done, he had a very sad expression on his face. And his father asked him, what's wrong? And with a pitiful, soft answer, he said, Dad, don't they make cookie jars that don't make noise when you take the lid off? His motive was not to do something nice for his mama. His motive was to eat some cookies. Okay? Sneaky kid. Kind of sounds like my son. Sneaky kid. Motives are important. Motives are important. Why we do things are important. We need to be judging ourselves. Why are we doing things? What is in our heart? What is the secret? Is it because we enjoy power? Is it because we enjoy people applauding us? Or is it because God has called us to that particular thing and we do it to serve God and not man? Why are we doing things? If you remember nothing, remember this. Hey, you're not God. You're, you're a slave of Christ if you're saved and you have an important calling. As the ladies come for singing, I've got a question. Are you sure that you're sure that if you were to die today and wake up, that you'd wake up in heaven or hell? If you're not, you need to get sure. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, he may open it unto me, and I will come in and sup sup with him. That was actually not a salvation verse. That was said to the Christian as well. Someone who's not really walking in the Spirit. But you know what? It works too for the unsaved. It's a truism. Do you know that you know that you know, whether you're listening by recording or on the live stream at home, do you know where you'd be? If not, then you need to know. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of your salvation. If you know you're saved, have you checked your motives as to why you do things? As to why you say certain things? Do you know what your motives are? Have you ever really examined that in your life? If not, why not? Scripture says it's important. So maybe you need to do that today as we stand and sing the invitation hymn. If you'd like to join the church by letter of statement of baptism, or if you'd like special prayer, I'll be up here at the front. I think we're in the hymnal today. <laughs>